there and welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a newlywed couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. And yes. this is our, I guess, impromptu Valentine's Day episode. I guess, since we are recording the day after Valentine's Day. And we are watching a very romantic movie. We're discussing a very romantic movie today. That's questionable according to Scott's facial expression, but I think it's very romantic. This is Moulin Rouge, which came out in 2001, which was a year of many bad things, but this is not one of them in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Scott, I noticed while we were watching this movie, you, you were making some facial expressions at certain points that seemed a little disturbed. Perhaps you should elucidate on that. <laughs> Explain to us how you felt about this movie. Honestly, okay. So we just watched this movie. Literally just finished about uh-huh. two minutes ago. Yep. I don't know what to think. It's a lot. I, I'm still processing a lot of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I'm sitting here... And oh, I'm dying right now. I, I'm sitting here and I'm actually thinking, like, what did I just watch for part of this? Because some of it is a very straightforward love story. Some of it is a fever dream. Yes. But so, perf- it's, it has purpose, though, the fever dream part of it. It's, there's purpose. I guess? Sure. He gets swept up in this life and it's all meant to be crazy. I understand the purpose of the editing. If I was in the theater watching that, I probably would have gotten sick of the motion. Okay, but... Okay. You have to admit, though, (laughs) that it it seemed from my perspective that despite the fact that you were like, in the beginning, like, towards the end, it, it grew on you. It seemed like you were into it towards the end. Yes, like a terrible parasitic virus. Oh, no, <laughs> um, no. Jump. I'm joking. It's How not, dare you? Um, no, it, it's it's one of those movies that I'm I'm never going to watch this again. I hadn't watched it in a long time, but I I have seen this multiple times, and I still love this movie, (laughs) despite how insane it is at parts. It's really fun. It's it's not bad. It's It's not great. It's it. There's a lot. There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. Okay, so let let's start talking about this for a second now. Maybe I can work it out. This movie is directed by Baz Luhrmann who is quite known for having style over substance in his movies. For example, oh, he yeah. uh, directed Romeo plus Juliet, <laughs> as well as uh, the latest Great Which, Gatsby movie with Leo DiCaprio. Which one was the Romeo plus? Was that also DiCaprio? That was, that was DiCaprio. I with, hate uh, that Claire movie. Um, and he also wrote those movies too. And uh, he he wrote he yeah, co-wrote he, this. Movie. Yeah, he he wrote Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah, he he co-wrote. Well, no, he you know what I mean, you <laughs> asshole. He, he co-wrote um this movie with uh, Craig Pierce, who also co-wrote Great Gatsby movie and the Romeo plus Juliet movie. Not actually Romeo plus Juliet, asshole. Anyway, um. <laughs> Because that's what it's called, Romeo plus Juliet by William Shakespeare. Fan four stick. Uh, <laughs> this movie, okay, 
it's it's not a traditionally perfect movie. It's got crazy editing and cinematography of parts, which yes, it, it's it definitely an argument can be made for style over substance with this movie as well. But I would argue that it's not because it's just not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, okay. That's okay, a great debate. Here's, here's the tea, okay, in my perspective. Now, the difference between, the, the, the major difference between movies such as The Great Gatsby by Baz Luhrmann. The tempo of the city had changed sharply. The buildings were higher. Parties were bigger. The morals were looser and the liquor was cheaper. And Romeo plus Juliet. And this is that there's actually a couple in this movie with chemistry and like a love story that like is compelling and makes you be invested in it that is my argument okay that this is this that's why this is bad because i usually don't i'm not a fan a big fan of baz Luhrmann films in general i really didn't like the great gatsby romeo and juliet's okay like i don't really care for i don't have a real strong opinion either way on it but it's not i don't think it's like amazing i really enjoy this movie because I do like the music a lot as well. I really, I like the music. Even the crazy ones, like, we're gonna get there. There's some crazy fucking song choices we have in this movie. But I still love it. <laughs> and I like, I like Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. I like their chemistry. I like them as actors. So I think, I, I really love this movie, man. <laughs> I really... <laughs> I know you're like shaking your head, Scott. But no, this I is really... one of those ones I wish you had. We had a video camera on us because yeah, because I was like so into it, and I was my... like singing along, and I was like all Twitter padded and parts, and Scott was just so confused <laughs> as to what was happening. The first ten minutes of this movie is I, I don't even know what to call it. It's mm -mm. Fever Dream seemed right, but even that. Yeah, I mean, I get the, the, it. The slow motion, fast, the switch, fast paced editing was like, oh my god. I get it. The but flying through the streets but, of Paris. But the, there's purpose <laughs> to the editing for the tone and for the story. I, it makes sense <sighs> in my brain, okay? I, Perhaps it's too confusing for your brain. No, I understand the purpose of it. It's still ridiculous. Well, yeah, but that's why I like it. <laughs> anyway, okay, so it, there's a lot of uh, interesting things that go went into making this movie, but let's let's talk about the the Oscars because this this movie, despite your confusion of its quality, did get a lot of Oscar love in 2002. <laughs> it was nominated for eight Oscars and won two of them. Eight Oscars, including Best Picture. So you're telling me? Yes. Moulin Rouge. Yes. Was nominated for eight Oscars. Yes. One, two of them. Uh huh. But we can't give Endgame one goddamn Oscar. Okay. God. You know what? Damn it! You know what, Scott? <laughs> the Oscars are bullshit. That's what it is. The Oscars are bull. You know shit. what, Scott? 
sometimes I agree with you, but sometimes I do not. And this is one of those times. Now, let's let's go down the uh, list. At which here. point? <laughs> let's go down the list here. Now, the the awards that it did win were more technical awards. Uh, it won production design, which makes sense. Yeah. And it won costumes, which makes sense. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, as far as the ones it didn't win, now, okay. You have to admit that it being nominated for eight Oscars is a sign that it's at least a good movie to some people. <laughs> Deny! Sit down! Sure. Okay, great. Glad <laughs> we figured this out. So, and also, it was the first movie musical in ten years to be nominated for Best Picture since Beauty and the Beast in 1991. That is also an incredible accomplishment, I think. Or the fact that musicals have been dead that weren't but Disney this movies. brought it back to life, Scott. <laughs> this took those little paddles and said clear, and then and then shot the musical industry back to life. I, okay, in let, two thousand two. Let, let's 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 slow down there. If anything brought the movie musical back to like prominence, mm. it wasn't this. What was it then, dear? If, what was it? If not Moulin Rouge? <laughs> if anything. It's probably Chicago. Okay, that's a fair assessment. However, <laughs> I think that... Well, no, because... But did you hear what I said? First movie musical in 10 years to be nominated for Best Picture. Okay, I'm not... So, but we've they all... could have skipped it. They could have skipped Moulin Rouge, and then the next year, I think, Chicago came out, and they would have had Chicago, but no. <laughs> but no, Scott. This was this was it. This made this made it possible for Chicago to get nominated for best picture. Oh, this did it. I said it. Come at me, okay? Listen, I recognize that this movie is fucking insane, but I love it, and I don't ironically love it. It's not like it's not like the room where I ironically love it and want to like show it to my kids someday. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, we agreed to that? <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie that is insane at parts, but I actually genuinely love. So, yeah. Yeah, bro. So, let, let's just quickly go through the rest of my, my Oscar. Did it get tea. any Razzie love? My, no, it didn't. Ha ah. ha. My, the rest of my Oscar tea, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty. So, it was nominated for Best Picture. It lost to A Beautiful Mind. Makes sense. Nicole Kidman was nominated for Lead Actress. And she lost to Halle Berry. So, rightfully so. That's like one of the Gothica? most iconic... No, no Monsters Ball. Ball. It was most, I, one of the most iconic moments in Oscars history. Because it's the first fucking African-American yes. female queen to win an Oscar. Damn straight. So, makes sense. Not even kind of mad about that. It was nominated for cinematography as well as makeup, but lost to Fellowship of the Ring. And it was nominated for editing. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Which Scott hated. That, that's a mistake. As well as sound, but lost both of those to Black Hawk Down. Interesting. Black Hawk Down? Okay. So, yeah. So, th that's 
that's the Oscar T on Moulin Rouge. So anyone, there are a lot of people out there that don't like this movie and don't understand why people like it, but at least acknowledge the fact that it got some Oscar love. So that's a good thing. Not to say that all Oscar movies are, you know, fantastic, but it says something. It does, I think. Yes, it says a bunch of old white men fell in love with Nicole no. Kidman. No, no, it's it's art style. Okay, <laughs> it's a fucking good movie. You liked it towards the end. You did. You were into it. I was yes. I was into it towards the end. I you don't... were confused in the beginning, but once you got into it, I... you were in it. Okay. And that's that's what it that's what it takes. You have to step into the world and turn your fucking reality part of your brain off, Frankie. and just acknowledge this world we're living in. Frankie, <laughs> I, I I I'm legitimately telling you, I don't know what the fuck about. This I'm movie. telling you what to think. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not. But I'm I'm just telling you. I'm why hoping. I love this movie. I'm hoping through this discussion of this movie, you will slowly fall in love with it. No, that I will determine what I actually think about this movie. Because there are parts, yes, that are very good, and then there are parts that Roxanne. are. Roxanne, you liked Roxanne. Everyone likes Roxanne. Even people that hate this movie like Roxanne. I don't. I didn't you like... didn't like Roxanne. No, that was the best fucking number in the movie. I don't like his voice. I, I actually you don't like the Argentinian or no, uh, Ewan McGregor's voice. Argentinian. Oh, I, I thought he was good. I did not like because when you listen to Sting perform Roxanne, mm -hmm. that's who I'm comparing this to, and it just it's so like. It works in this world with the it's so harsh and crash and like it works here, but I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. It fits perfectly with the movie. Right. But I don't like it. <laughs> okay. Well Jesus Christ. Alright, so let's get into the nitty gritty of this. I'm very confused. But I can see that and we're gonna we're gonna work this out, okay? So we open our beautiful film called Moulin Rouge. On a conductor. On a conductor. Um, yeah, the, that was kind of weird. <laughs> I don't. I didn't remember that. There was a conductor, like actually conducting like the stage show that of Moulin Rouge. It was weird. But anyway, so we actually open open on Paris, nineteen hundred, and uh, Ewan McGregor is Christian. Our, our leading man, and he is in a hotel room, just him himself and a typewriter looking ragged and crying, and he begins to narrate our story about the Moulin Rouge and the woman he loved, Satine, played by Nicole Kidman, uh, who he kind of spoils for us right off the bat that she's dead. <laughs> so that's a bummer. <laughs> but uh, like I said, we're in... 1900 so he goes back in time as he's narrating the story to one year prior in 1899 and you know no one's French in this let's not think about that too <laughs> hard um, <laughs> um so he backtracks to a year prior when he first moved to Paris to be an artiste yes. and he uh he moves into this boarding house and he meets this ragtag group of, of gentlemen who fall through his ceiling who fall through his ceiling and they all work at the Moulin Rouge, and they want to put on a show. Yes. So, um... And they all have stuff wrong with them. Yes. Uh, we meet Toulouse, 
who is played by John Leguizamo, who is a little person. Who is has terrible choices of movies. I mean, I mean, yes. He played Luigi, so yes. <laughs> but this isn't the worst thing he's ever done. <laughs> he, why didn't they just get an actual... I don't know. Scott, I didn't cast this movie, okay? And we, uh, among these ragtag uh, people from the Moulin Rouge, uh, other than John Leguizamo, we meet, I know I'm going to say this wrong, Jacek Coleman, who plays a narcoleptic Argentinian. And that may sound like it means nothing right now, but it will come back later. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... This is the point in the movie where pretty much immediately Scott was very confused. There was a lot of quick editing and camera work and lots of lots of crazy shit that was happening. Flashing very, between very, random things. Very and... frenetic. Um, however, the narcoleptic Argentinian has passed out. And these ragtag Moulin Rougers need someone to fill in for him while they're trying to write and put together this show in the sound of music in their uh in the in their boarding house so they scoop up christian and they put him in a little like swedish nordic outfit and they're like they're all like chitter chattering and blah, 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 blah about this show and about these lyrics that they want uh to be sung and then all of a sudden uh christian as Ewan McGregor, obviously. He bursts out in a beautiful, uh, short little rendition of The Hills Are Alive with the sound of music. It kind of like just blows everybody away. He does do a good job singing. Yes, Ewan McGregor is very actually has a I, I very actually decent really voice. I really like his singing voice. I I'm a big Ewan McGregor fan in general, but in this movie, I really enjoyed his performance and his singing as well. She, I actually liked it. Um, I liked Ewan McGregor's voice. I, him and uh, Nicole Kidman both actually have very good yeah, voices. Yeah, they did good. Most of the time, whenever they are singing, they are both very captivating. Ewan McGregor is. Honestly, an amazing actor in general. You know, and Nicole Kidman, my not my favorite actress, also can be very captivating. They all, like, you know, immediately become fast friends with Christian, and they're like, we want you to write the show instead. We want you to write the show. And Christian's like, I'm, I'm nobody. Like, they're not, I don't think that's, just, I don't know if that's the best idea. And he's like, no, 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 we're going to do this. We're going to have you meet the like the head of the Moulin Rouge, the owner of the Moulin Rouge, and we're going to convince him that you're this famous writer and you're going to write this show for us and it's going to be great. So they then go to the Moulin Rouge. And, and uh, the editing is still crazy at this point. Yeah, well, because they're introducing the Moulin Rouge and it's very chaotic and lots of crazy colorful costumes and crazy music frenetic brah, which I get it it's like a lot phys- like uh, visually honestly if the whole movie was like this I was uh, I was like this is insane I I can't I couldn't focus on this yeah 
<laughs> I, I get it, I do. But it does calm down, and I told you that. But before we get there, so the night before, they, they made this plan to go to Moulin Rouge and convince uh, Zidler, who is the owner of the Moulin Rouge, as well as Satine, who is like the shining star of the Moulin Rouge, to approve of him to write this show yes. for the for the company. So that the night before they go and enact this plan, they get shit-faced on absinthe, <laughs> and uh, they hallucinate this little green fairy, like, singing to them, and it's it's a little trippy. <laughs> just, just a little bit. Um, but I did want to give a fun fact about that particular part, because I thought you'd find this interesting. So, um, Kylie Minogue, who is a, a very famous British singer, okay. she uh, did the voice and the physicality of the, the fairy. The fairy. However, there is a point, it's like a second towards the end of that scene where the fairy kind of goes evil and like screams, like a guttural scream. We were off to the Moulin Rouge and I was to perform my poetry for Satine. Um, that is not voiced by Kali Minogue. That is voiced and credited on IMDb um, from Ozzy Osbourne. So Ozzy Osbourne got paid <laughs> to do a scream for, for a green absinthe fairy. <laughs> I just thought you should know that so you can sleep at night tonight and have pleasant dreams. <laughs> 2001. 2001. Okay, so this is after Ozzy's heyday. Yeah. Dope. I think the Dope. plan was, from what I understand, the plan was to have him, like, do the whole fairy thing. Like, have it be very, like, guttural and evil. But they went against, they decided not to do that. They went with the girly Kylie Minogue thing and then just added his scream at the end. Okay. But he still got money for it and he still got credited for it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, I, I can't wrap my head around that, but okay, okay, uh, okay. More I have to wrap my head around with this movie. Yeah, we're, yeah. Oh, There's okay. a lot to unpack. So, the next day they go, or the next night, I should say, they go to the Moulin Rouge, and uh, they kind of introduce Zidler, who is played by Jim Broadbent, who we've never... Uh, talked about him before but we will in the future because he plays Slughorn in Harry Potter. Merlin's <laughs> beard! No need to disfigure me, Elvis. Well, I must say you make a very convincing armchair, Horace. <laughs> it's all in the upholstery. So he'll be popping up again soon but he is a, a well-known British actor and we meet all of the Moulin Rouge girls called the Diamond Dogs, that's what they're called, and they come out dancing and they are singing, although, yeah, they're clearly not singing uh, because it's sung by Will Kim, Christina Aguilera, Maya, and Pink, uh, the Lady Marmalade song. That is over, like, their little, like, introduction. Fully, fully, shape up. 
Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? But yeah, so that's that's playing. Um, and that, that was a pretty big song to come out of that movie. Yes. Um, but anyway. Also, Christina was looked damn good in that video, but to say. Okay, Scott. Okay. I'm just saying. 2001. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> and then, finally, the editing and the craziness kind of calms down. And we get Satine's intro. She comes out overhead on this, like, big swing. And she's singing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. And also, it's kind of a medley with Material Girl at some point. And or is, is that after where Dirvana comes in? Oh, yeah, that's afterwards. <laughs> There's a lot of weird music choices in this movie, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, then we get introduced to Zidler's potential investor, the Duke, who is played by Richard Roxburgh. Who looks like... A bad David Spade with a mustache. He's a creep. Um, but yeah, he's clearly into Satine, and so is Christian. So that's that's happening. But um, yeah, Nicole Kidman does a great job. I just want to mention, like, this whole movie has had it, it was a crazy undertaking to actually make. Uh, there was plenty of things that went. Wrong. I don't want to say... Yeah, I mean, wrong. I mean, for example, in regards to Nicole Kidman, there was one point where filming had to stop for two weeks because as she was rehearsing for one of the dance numbers, she fractured two ribs and injured her knee. So that was like a whole fucking to-do. And then afterwards, she had to go back and keep shooting. So there are certain scenes where she's filmed from like the chest up and she's sitting in a wheelchair because she can't. Like, she had, was having so much trouble. Why do I... We have to keep telling actors and actresses. They can't do their own stunts anymore. We have I to mean, just read the... Uh, I mean, I mean... <laughs> Tom Cruise is about to hang out of an air... Out of a rocket ship. And also, I didn't even mention when we talked about John Leguizamo. You, you mentioned that he's made... Terrible. Questionable... Okay, I was going to say questionable <laughs> choices on his movies. And that might be right... Especially when you consider what he did for this movie. And his role in this movie, while some may argue it's very important, it's very minimal. <laughs> um, however, in order to appear as a, a little person, he had to... There was a lot of trickery to be done, but sometimes he had to use these special leg braces to appear shorter and then it was so physically taxing on him that after the movie was done wrapping, he had to do at least two weeks or more of physical therapy to get back to normal. So, yeah. This movie was taxing for so, many reasons. So the, so the, Not just on the audience. <laughs> the, now, with this movie, the three movies I think of, John Leguizamo... Are bad. Are Moulin Rouge... Well, except this one. I like this one. But his performance is like whatever in this. <laughs> I have no real feeling about Luigi it. Luigi for Super Mario Brothers. And he is in Spawn as the evil clown wearing a fat really? suit. Really? Funny, funny, he's our man. If you can't kill him, no, I Really? Spawn? That's what we're bringing up? <laughs> Can you think of like... Think of a good John Leguizamo performance. Um, he... Well, Tu Wong Fu... Thanks for everything. You never seen that? He nope. trusts, he's a drag queen. 
Uh, and the, he, he does, he's pretty annoying actually in it, but I find John Leguizamo annoying pretty much in every also performance. He, when, oh, he also, he was in Romeo plus Juliet. He, I think he played like Tybalt, I think. That wouldn't shock me, him playing But Tybalt. again, probably, I mean, I haven't seen that movie in a long, long time, but I imagine that that performance probably isn't, you know, something to write home about either. I don't know. Oh, that's right. He was in John Wick for half a second. Oh, he was in Chef. Chef's a good movie. I guess it's really, it's not a matter of what performances of John Leguizamo are good, it's what movies are still good despite his annoyingness. <laughs> he was, like, in John Wick, he's good, but he's only in the movie for literally two minutes. I don't know. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Sorry, okay. <laughs> no, I know, I'm, I'm fucking around. Okay, so, so, this is the point in the movie where we start with, like, the setup for the hijinks yes. part. It kind of, like... It turned into a sitcom for a good, like, 30 minutes. So, Zidler and Duke are talking, and Zidler's like, Hey, I set up a private meeting between you and Satine, because you clearly have the hots for her. Ha ha ha. So, I got you covered, man. And then, uh, Toulouse goes up to Christian, and it's like, Hey, I arranged to give you a private meeting with Satine so you could discuss your writing with her and get on get her on your side. So before we talk to Zidler. So <laughs> surprise of surprise, both of these guys think they're going to meet privately with this beautiful woman. Um and then through a a series of misunderstandings, Satine thinks that Christian is the duke. Yes. So she at one point, asks her, asks him to dance with her, and they're dancing and they're making like these comments that like Satine thinks he's talking about fucking, and but really Christian is talking about like doing a poetry reading, and it's like really weird and like adorably awkward, but it, it's fine. <laughs> it's it literally does turn into a sitcom for the yeah. next thirty minutes, but it's fine. Honestly, once Satine shows up. Yeah. And the editing calmed down. I kind of re-like focus on what was going on. Which, it, yes, it was cute. It was awkward. This whole bit was awkward. John Leguizamo was like smacking uh, David Spade with a... Uh... <laughs> we can't call him David Spade. <laughs> French David Spade. <laughs> Don't tell me. Once I brought it up, you laughed hysterically. I did, because it's true. It's <laughs> like if David Spade were a Frenchman, it was like really hoity-toity. Um, so, Satine is finishing up her kind of routine. She's up on the swing again towards the ceiling, and she's singing, and all of a sudden, she kind of loses her breath, and she faints, and she falls off the swing and falls really far and uh fortunately uh one of the guys at the moulin rouge one of the performers he catches her and he like takes her to the back and, and this man is the hero of the entire damn movie he is we'll get to that later but zidler um kind of covers for he's like oh well, it's all part of the show everyone da, da, da. but in the back like she's passed out and they kind of she comes to and uh everyone's like trying to take care of her and then we notice that She's coughing up blood. And then we get the first little inkling that something's really wrong with her. Tuberculosis. We love a good tuberculosis uh, <laughs> plotline. We love it. Um, it's, it's the 1900s, y'all. <laughs> it's at 1899. 
We're not there to the 1900s yet. We're not in the new millennium yet. Ah. Ah. Isn't that funny, though? I just realized that because this movie came out, like, basically in the start of the millennium. And it's it's taking place in the last millennium. Ah! Ah. That's so clever. Anyway. (laughs) So... (laughs) I love this movie so much. Oh, God. I, I, I know. Listen, I'm going to make jokes about this movie at points because it is so crazy. It might seem like me making jokes means that I don't like it. I, I, can't, I can't mention enough how much I love this movie. <laughs> Unironically. I really do. It's just, it's an anomaly. It's so bizarre. It's so insane at parts. But yet, I love it. <laughs> Frank, you just keep telling yourself. <laughs> I really, I can't help it, man. I have a problem. Anyway, so Christian and Satine meet in her room, I guess. It's kind of like her lounge, her bedroom, whatever. It's like a big elephant. Like, out, like, yes. It's in the shape of a big elephant. Yes, you enter through the elephant's butt through the window. We love that. We love butthole humor. <laughs> just saying. Here at Paradoja Studios, we love buttholes. <laughs> Anyway. Paradoja Studios, <laughs> we have the buttholes. So this is where... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is where Jesus Christ comes in and saves us all from this madness. Um, he had the butthole. Okay, now we're turning into fucking ten-year-olds. <laughs> Just because you say butthole doesn't mean it's funny. <laughs> it was. Okay, so... This is where, like, this, the the sitcom-ness yes. bullshit comes in. And it really, it only lasts for this chunk. It's very, like, cartoony and sitcom-y. And then after that, oh, it becomes a little more normal. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot this. Throughout the entire movie, mm. the entire movie, we have the most cartoony... Not all of it. The entire movie. Not all of it. We have the most cartoony... It's mainly this part. no. The whole movie has these cartoony sound effects no. littered throughout the movie. Scott is exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. I know. Every now and then you get the... Okay. 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 Calm down. It's mostly in this part, I feel like. There's a lot more in this part, but they're all over this movie. Okay. Whatever, bro. Anyway. <laughs> hijinks are about to ensue. Satine thinks that she is seducing the Duke to get him to give the Moulin Rouge money and finance their show and make it into a theater and blah, blah, blah. Make Satine a star. Uh, But then Christian genuinely thinks that he is showing her his writing and is like awkwardly trying to wax poetically. And it's just very awkward and like hijinks, 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 hearty, har, har. Uh, Christian then, this is one of the points where Scott, like, threw his book to his head. Christian starts reciting the words as if they are a poem to Elton John's Your Song, which is a a wonderful song. And, uh, Satine is, like, over-the-top orgasming. (laughs) Just like, oh, we'll put it in the clips. I I don't... I don't have much money, but oh, boy, if I did, yes. I'd buy a big house where we both oh, could, could live. Oh. Oh. It's really obnoxious because she's a courtesan. She's, she's a, a prostitute. Basically. She's a concubine. She's a, a prostitute concubine, but she wants to be an actress. Um, 
So she's using her feminine wiles to seduce who she thinks is the Duke, yada, yada, yada. But then he starts singing your song. Yes. Um, in, a, in a bout of extreme awkwardness, he just erupts into song and starts singing the song. Satine is just like uh, flabbergasted. She's enamored with him. And uh, he goes through the whole song, and it's a really, really nice, like, he does a really good yes. job with it. It's a really pretty number, very well uh, yes. shot. And after the song, <laughs> she immediately says she's in love. And then. Christian's like, oh, you think I'm the Duke? I I'm not the Duke. I'm a writer. And she's like, what? <laughs> and then it becomes even more hijinksy when the Duke actually comes to her room and Satina's like hiding Christian. Like, and they're always like, you know, she keeps like oh my God. trying to keep the Duke from seeing Christian in her room. There's this one point where she's like whirling her like, uh, her, like yeah. dress. That part is admittedly very weird. She, the Duke is like about to see Christian and she just starts erupting in weird like and like swinging her arms around. It's, it's weird guys. It's weird but it's funny and I love it. So <laughs> eventually after uh Satine is Satine starts singing to the Duke to try and distract him and Christian's like feeding her lines. It's actually a really like funny part and the Duke becomes like infatuated with oh, yeah. her. There's a shot where the Duke's officially infatuated with her. Yeah, his eyes like glow. His, his eyes glow like ding. Awooga! Very <laughs> yeah. cartoony in that way as well. But uh, eventually Satine gets the Duke out of the room and Satine is just so like, ah, all over the place. She's with Christian alone again, and she faints. She passes out again in his arms. And he, like, carries her kind of over to the bed, and he falls on top of her. And then the Duke comes back in the room. He's like, oh, I forgot my hat. What's going on in here? This is most unorthodox. As, you know, British can you, Frenchman can does. You, can you say that again? Because that was actually really funny. Okay. Most unorthodox. Let me make this clear. You have orthodox, unorthodox, and then most unorthodox. You're here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week, guys. I'll take uh, pennies, nickels, dimes, about as much as I'm worth. <laughs> That's not true. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the Duke is very upset. He's like, what the fuck? What are you doing in here? And then Toulouse and the guys from the boarding house, who have been like peeping in on them this whole time, they kind of burst in uh, along with Zidler to kind of like cover for them and be like, oh no, he wasn't doing anything nefarious. We were just rehearsing for the show. He's the writer for the show, you know, the show that we're doing. Spectacular, yes, we, spectacular. We, we, we called uh, a. a, a, a uh... An emergency meeting, yes. an emergency rehearsal, and uh, they go through this whole, like, kind of, like, imp it's like a bad improv scene, but it's so fun. Like, I like this part. I think it's really, like, cute 
the show will run for 15 years. It really, it feels like, I mean, the thing is with this movie in general, there is a lot of operatic uh, tones and, like, motifs in this. Like, it's, this movie, the plot is based on a lot of, like, operatic plot lines. Um, there's also a lot of, like, operatic, like, arias throughout different songs yes. in the movie. Like, it's very based on opera. So, it is over the top at parts. But that's why I say it works. Because it's, for the tone of the movie, for the style of it, it, it all kind of works. So, they go through this whole, like, fake rehearsal thing where they kind of, like, improv, make up the plot of the show. Uh, basically, it's like... Oh, a beautiful courtesan falls in love with a sitar player, a penniless sitar player, but the Maharaja, the evil Maharaja who's rich and powerful, he falls in love with her too and he wants to own her and possess her. But, you know, true love wins out at the end. It's a whole big, like, dramatic yes. true love thing. I mean, love is like a big, the, the main theme of this movie. The word love and its variations appear 143 times in this movie. So you're saying love will keep us together. Exactly. Love will lift us up where we belong. All you need is love. Love is a battlefield. It is. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my place. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I lost my place. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... So as they go through this whole thing, uh, this whole, like, song and dance showing the Duke, like, what the show is going to be, and then the Duke agrees to invest, and the Moulin Rouge, everyone in the Moulin Rouge celebrates. They get drunk and excited and dancing and happy and la 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 While that's happening, Satine is, you know, in her room, uh, and uh, Christian is in his boarding house room, and he's... Across the, across the walkway. Yeah, and he's thinking about Satine. Uh, and she is kind of, she's thinking about him. She, she ends up singing, uh, One Day I'll Fly Away. And that was, it was pretty good. Uh, but eventually Christian goes to her and he's like, Hey, like, did you mean that when you said that you love me? Or were you just like doing like an act because you thought I was the Duke? And she's like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm a courtesan. I, I, I can't fall in love. Like, that's just... I can't do that. And he's like, what do you mean? You, love is like oxygen. <laughs> Which is the second time he said this. Yeah. There's a lot of over-the-top lines oh, in this movie. Uh, also, then proceeds to quote the Beatles. Yes. Oh, you need Because it's the second time he's done that, too. Um, so, eventually, they end up singing together the Elephant Love Medley, which is one of my favorite songs in the movie. Um, but I really enjoyed watching Scott watch this because every new song that came up, he was like, wait, what? <laughs> All you need is love. Love is just a game. I was made for loving you, baby. You were made for loving me. The only way of loving me, baby, is to pay a lovely fee. So let's, let's just go through the list here, shall we? Okay. Okay. So let, let, let's just see if I missed anything, okay? The Elephant Love Medley uh, includes All You Need Is Love yes. by The Beatles. I Was Made For Loving You by Kiss. Yes. 
One More Night by Phil Collins. Yes. In the Name of Love by U2. Yes. Don't Leave Me This Way by Thelma Houston. Yes. Silly Love Songs by Paul McCartney. Yes. Up Where We Belong by Joe Cocker. Yes. Heroes by Bowie, the king. By the way, makes absolutely no sense. I liked that part. No sense. They're heroes together for each other. It's nice. Shut up. <laughs> And I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton yes. slash Whitney Houston. And, of course, they throw in your song in there because why, why not? not? <laughs> um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of love songs in this little medley. And at the end, they confess their love and they become lovers. And I'm happy what? about it. I like that song. Yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't good. So then we cut to the Duke and Zidler talking. The Duke wants to give them the money for the theater and for the show but he says I need a contract and I need to own the Moulin Rouge and I need to possess Satine and he basically has like a little freak out <laughs> I don't like anyone touching my things <laughs> sometimes I'm a jealous man I just don't like other people touching my things yeah um he's crazy <laughs> It this was, guy is nuts. It was kind of creepy. It was re he's really creepy in this movie. Super duper creepy. Um and it wasn't until like it was like this point where you were like, "Okay." Right. So, um meanwhile, uh Satine and Christian are like rehearsing for the show and they're like writing it with Toulouse and they're like falling more and more in love and they're getting closer. And they're still kind of, they're, they're doing everything they can to, like, avoid the Duke, basically. Um, but eventually, Zidler finds out about the affair, and she he confronts Satine. He's like, I've seen you two together. And he tells her to break up with Christian and go have dinner with the Duke. So she kind of agrees to do that, because she feels like she doesn't have any other choice. But before she can do either go to the Duke or go to Christian, she passes out again. And she gets very sick. She's sick, like, the whole night. So she doesn't meet with the Duke, and she doesn't meet Christian either. So Christian, because they had plans to meet, so Christian was worried. And the Duke was like, what the fuck? I want to see the team. <laughs> oh, yeah, then we get the... Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Scott. One of the weirdest numbers in the movie. But, again, just because how... This is one of the numbers that I like just because how fucking weird it is. Um, so Zidler goes to the Duke to basically cover for Satine, and because he doesn't want he doesn't want the Duke to know that she's sick, so he goes like, "Oh, she's confessing. She's confessing all her past sins. She feels like a virgin with you." And then Scott's like, "No," and I'm like, "Oh yes." Yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, no, this, please don't. This grown, jolly <laughs> British man starts singing like a virgin. It starts out slow. And you think, oh, they're doing a slow version of like a virgin? And then I go, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand what's about to happen. All of a sudden, like a fucking <laughs> bullet out of a gun. For the very first time, like a virgin, your heart beats. Both in time, 
the whole scene lights up and it like do 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 like a virgin it goes like like fast and like jaunty it's like so weird but so funny <laughs> there's a point where the duke is chasing settler while he's covered in a white sheet saying like she will be mine yeah like a virgin yeah. touch and he's and settler's like ah Oh yeah, God, God, I mean, the, the cool, I like the whole thing about this movie where, like, the art imitates the real life because basically the show that they're writing, it, it ends up that, like, their real life is kind of mimicking it. So the Maharaja in the show is, like, very possessive and wants to basically possess the courtesan. And that's how the Duke feels about Satine. He doesn't really love her. You know, like, there's many times in this movie where the Duke is like, oh, she will be mine. She will be mine. But as much as Christian loves her and as much as he gets jealous at points in this movie, which he does, that's a big part of it in the movie. Like, he never says, like, she's mine. I own her. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just, I like that. I feel like that's a good element of it. Yeah. Scott is not convinced, okay? I'm I'm determined to convince him by the end of this review that this is a great movie. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Listen, Can I you have... Can me over the good? <laughs> maybe I'll get you to good. Here's the... Th I have this rated as a four out of five on my fucking letterbox. And Scott just <laughs> audibly sighed. <laughs> I have it as four out of five, bro. You don't have to say anything till the end, what you're... <laughs> what your rating is going to be. But that just tells you where I'm at, okay? <laughs> if I can get you to a 3 out of 5, I will feel that I have accomplished something. <laughs> I will be happy, okay? And you want to make your wife happy, don't you? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Oh, damn. I'm, guys. I'm kidding. Guys, you, you're listening to this right now. Oh, my I God. Shut up. <laughs> Listen, you're allowed to not like something that I like. You really like The Predator, and I didn't like it that much. So that's okay. We all have our opinions, and they're all valid, unless you're wrong. <laughs> unless you're like Donald Trump, then your opinion means nothing. Well, we can all agree we all love The Predator handshake, at least. Shh, yeah, that's fun. Dylan! You son of a bitch. That's super fun. You just said that so we could put it in here, didn't you? <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> We're talking about love and beauty and music, and you want to put it in the goddamn Predator handshake. You fucker. Anyway, moving on. So, after this bizarre music number, um, Zidler goes to the doctor, and the doctor basically tells Zidler that Satine is dying. And Zidler says, well, she, can she can't know about that because the show must go on. Which really is kind of horrible. Oh, it's very horrible. <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty horrible. Um, so the next morning, <clears throat> Satine is with Christian in his room. And Satine basically tries to break up with him, saying, like, listen, I have to... I Zidler's telling me I have to seduce the Duke. I, I This whole Moulin Rouge is depending on me and the Duke. I have to do this. 
and I don't want to put you through that. I know you're going to be jealous. That's just, I don't want you to have to deal with that. And Christian's like, no, I don't want this to end. I won't be jealous. I promise. He gets jealous. Spoiler alert. But <laughs> he says, listen, I'm going to write, what if I write a song for you and I sing it to you? And, and every time you hear it, you can hum it, you can sing it to yourself and you'll know in your heart that we love each other and our love is so strong no matter what happens. Which I thought is a very sweet it romantic is. notion. It is. Hmm. Is it? Do you think so? <laughs> Another reason why this movie is good. <laughs> Check for me. <laughs> I'm really trying here. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, she got really intense there, guys. So, <laughs> so um, Satine and Christian start singing this song, Come What May. <clears throat> Which is the only fully original song in the movie. It was very good. Now, did you wonder, Scott, why this fully original song was not nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars in 2002? I have the answer. Did they not have Best Original Song? They did. In fact, what won that year was If I Didn't Have You for Monsters, Inc. And if I were handsome, it could happen. Because dreams do come true. I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have you. Okay. Now, the reason that this wasn't nominated is because it wasn't eligible, despite it being an original song, because it wasn't written for this movie. It was written originally for Romeo plus Juliet and was never put in the movie. <laughs> so they scrapped that for this, for that movie, and put it in this one. Okay. Which I think was much better suited, mostly because I don't remember there being any songs in Romeo plus Juliet, and that would have just been weird, or it would have been thrown in, like, the end credits and just, like, buried in obscurity. At least in this movie, it was prominent. It's, I think, one of the best songs in the movie. So, I... I... That's, that's a weird caveat. Oh, because this was written for another movie, but not used in that movie. Yeah. And used in this movie, it's not... That's a weird, dumb it, yeah, caveat. Yeah, it was weird. It was written by David Bearwald. I hope I'm saying that correctly. But it was written for Romeo and Juliet originally. So, But it wasn't used. Good for so you, So it David. couldn't be used. It couldn't be put in for the Oscars for this movie, I guess. For whatever reason. Okay. Um, Seems like a dumb thing. <laughs> yes. So, I agree. Because I think this song is great. Um, and it's, I mean, it's... I don't know what else was nominated that year. I probably would have liked that It's pivotal much. for this movie. Like, it's such a pivotal song, and it's, it's, it really is really beautiful and nice and romantic. Uh, and the, the performances themselves are really good. Like, Ewan McGregor does great. Mm. Nicole Kidman does great. Um, yeah, and it pulls at your little heartstrings. But anyway, um, so... As they're singing this song, it also kind of pans over to the rehearsal of the show that they're doing, and the like kind of secret song element gets brought over to the show. So they write that into the show, um, and they write their song "Come What May" into the show. Um, so they're performing it in the rehearsal, and this little cunt, <laughs> this little cunty dying dog, come out of. Basically nowhere. Basically, she's. It's kind of slightly implied that she's like this, like the head diamond dog behind Satine. So she's kind of like jealous of Satine and like 
resentful of her, I think, is what they're kind of implying. So she goes up to the Duke and is like, I don't like this ending. Why would a courtesan choose to be with a penniless writer? Oh, I mean, sitar player. Bitch, what the fuck? Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Basically, now, the jig is up. Yeah, the Duke's pissed. The Duke has suspected something's going on with them for a while, but now it kind of, he kind of feels it's more like, well, it gets even more confirmed in a second. So the Duke basically announces that he doesn't like the ending, which the ending is, like, they sing their secret song, they come together, the courtesan and the sitar player, and they run off into the sunset. Love will conquer all. Right. The Duke doesn't like that. He says that, um, you know, he, he's like, why would why would the courtesan choose a sitar player over this over the Maharaja? Why would she do that? Why would she choose love over right. being and he's just going safe on and, on. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's going on and on. And then Christian, I like this I like this part a lot because he's just so upset and like passionate about Satine. And he just screams out, Why shouldn't the courtesan choose the Maharaja? Because she doesn't love you! Because she doesn't love you! And then... He quickly tries to back to uh, him, him, him. She, she doesn't love him. But, like, it's pretty obvious. So, Satine kind of tries to, like, do damage control. Um, and she goes to the Duke and is like, Listen, why don't we have dinner tonight, me and you, and we'll we'll discuss this. We'll, we'll talk about what you want the ending to be, okay? Da, da, da. So she's planning on sleeping with him and like seducing him and just making everything all, all better um and right before like she goes off the duke she meets with christian alone and christian's like i don't want you to sleep with him and i want to know what you thought about this because you were saying like he's an idiot and i was like well no he doesn't want he just doesn't want her to sleep with him no. i want to know what you thought about that. no okay He's not an idiot for not wanting her to sleep with him. <laughs> He's an idiot for being... Like, the whole fucking point of being... A, him screaming out, he, She doesn't love you! <laughs> like, yes, well, yes, very powerful, very romantic. Is fucking stupid. It is. But love makes you stupid sometimes, Scott. Yes, that is true. Still, you get called stupid when you act stupid. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and the fact that he's like, no, no, honey, if you sleep with him, I won't get jealous. Is stupid. Yes, because obviously he is, and that's, I mean, the whole next sequence is about him being jealous. That's like if you went to me and go, Scott... If you slept with this woman, I won't be jealous. But, okay. Well, there it's more than just that. It's the fact that, like, she's telling him, like, I don't love, I love you. I'm doing, I'm just doing this for the show and for the Moulin Rouge. I'm not doing this because I, lo I love you. And he knows that. <coughs> like, he knows that he doesn't love, that she doesn't love the Duke. But, like, understandably, he still doesn't want her to sleep with him. <laughs> because he's with her and they love each other. So, it's, yeah. It's hard. It's difficult. But I understand your point of view. I do. Like, um, if, if the cat wasn't out of the bag, it, it's out of the bag now. Well, yeah. But again, love makes people do stupid things. It's hard to really conceal true love, Scott. 
It's like, could you, could you conceal the fact that you love me? Could you just pretend that you didn't love me? No, because I admitted to you while we were watching Fifty First Dates back when we were in middle school. Oh yes, that's a a story for another day, kids. <laughs> Good God, I love how that was our like. That's like that's so funny because like we got together over a movie, and now we're we're married and reviewing movies together. Isn't that funny? It is how life works. That's sure. so funny. Side note: Do you remember the first movie we saw in theaters? Wasn't it Big Mama's house? It or was Big Mama's oh, house. Oh God! <laughs> I, I feel like our, it was either the first one or the second one. I, can't I don't remember. remember, but honestly, I I'm almost certain that our cinematic taste has improved drastically <laughs> yes. since then. Uh, even though I still do like Fifty First Dates, I do too. But... Anyway, um, so that night, um, Satine is having supper with the Duke. And meanwhile, Christian and the other Mulan Rougers are hanging out, uh, and they're just, he's just kind of miserable, and that same fucking cunt from before is, like, picking on him. So, the Argentinian comes in, and, uh, you know, that, remember that narcoleptic guy that I told you about? Yeah, he's coming back right now. So, he's trying to, like, kind of calm the situation down with, with everything, and he's telling Christian, you, you should never fall in love with someone who sells their body. Because they're always with other, you know, they're with other men and that's what they do, yada, yada, yada. And then it leads into one of the, if not the best number in the movie, I thought. Scott apparently did not think so, which I find interesting because most people, even if they don't like Moulin Rouge at all, they like Roxanne. Uh, the next number, it's the El Tango Roxanne. To put on that red light Walk the streets for money You don't care if it's wrong Or if it is right Roxanne uh, Basically, the Argentinian and this cunty diamond dog do this really uh, sensual and very interesting tango along with the other Moulin Rougers and he's singing the song Roxanne by the police uh and then uh I really like this song a lot because it's at one point uh Christian joins in and it's all about like his jealousy and stuff but I want to know what you thought about this number okay so okay I know the original very well I've listened to the police for a long time mm -hmm. I know Sting I if again is it's a perfect fit for the movie. It's very gritty. It's very... The, Arch the Argentinian, the way he sings it, is very gritty, very, you know... it's This movie's about, you know, courtesans, and, like, it, it's a dirty subject. They, mm. they bring up their underworld... At one point, uh, the Duke says they're underworld performers. Right. You know, so it's very gritty. It's very, like, harsh. Raw, yeah. So it's a perfect fit for how they translated the song to the movie. So I understand that. Mm -hmm. I don't like his singing for it. I, the Argentinian. Yes, the Argentinian. Okay. I just, I understand why they made that decision to sing it the way they did. Right. And it works well for the movie. I just don't like it. Okay, that's fair. 
that, that's a fair assessment. Very well put, dear. I'm, I'm very, I'm okay with that. Did you like you and McGregor's part? Oh yes, I did. I that's like my favorite part of the song because he's like over, yes. like he's singing over the Roxanne part, and it's yeah, I like that part a lot. But so towards the end of the song, um, we cut to Satine with the Duke. She eventually convinces him to let the ending stay the same. She basically tells the Duke like, oh. Christian's just obsessed with me. Like, I, you know, I don't have any feelings for him. He's just, you know. I, I just play him. Right. Um, like a fiddle. But then, towards the end of the song, and I really like this part, Satine and the Duke are on, like, the balcony. And she sees Christian down below. And she starts singing to herself, Come What May. And as right as the Duke is trying to seduce her, she says, No. I don't want to. I don't want to sleep with you. I'm not sleeping with you. And the Duke gets very angry. He sees Christian down there and he's like, oh, you, you're lying. You really are in love with him, aren't you? And then he proceeds to attack her and basically try to rape her. And at this point, the song gets like, it swells and it gets bigger and bigger and more intense. And then right at the penultimate moment, when you think the Duke is about to rape Satine, the gentleman from before, the Moulin Rouge guy that saved her the first time when she fell, barges into her room and saves her from the Duke, knocks him unconscious. The true hero of this yeah. goddamn story. And he's kind of an unsung hero because, like, I don't even remember what his name was. They said it really quick, but I don't even recall what his name was in the movie. But they gloss over it very quickly and like they should give him more acknowledgement because he saved her twice. <laughs> so that's not that's not a, a small thing. That is a big deal. But Le chocolate. La chocolate, which um in case you didn't know from that name, he's black. So his name is Chocolate. That's not offensive at all. No, not at all. Anyway. Um, so yeah, sorry. But um, yeah, no, it's but, true. He is kind of the unsung hero in this movie for sure, because he not only saves her life when she falls, but he saves her from being raped by this psychopath. So after Roxanne um, is over, Christian is in his room at the boarding house. I'm not even gonna say the fucking offensive ass name. The hero. <laughs> I'm gonna call him the hero. He comes with Satine. She's very upset. He brings her to Christian. She tells Christian, I couldn't do it. I couldn't sleep with him. I don't want to lie anymore. I love you. I want to be with you. And Christian's like, D we can be together. Don't worry. We'll get the fuck out of here. We're going to go. We're going to run away together. That's what they plan to do. They separate and they plan to meet up later and run away together. In the meantime, the Duke is with Zidler and he tells... Zidler, you better get Satine back to me right now, or I'm going to have Christian killed. So Zidler goes to Satine, and he tells her, listen, the Duke is going to kill Christian if you don't sleep with him on opening night, because that's what you told him you were going to do. So you better do it. And Satine at first is like, no, I'm not doing it. We're running away. Fuck this you treated me like shit my whole life. You've treated me like a hooker my whole life. Basically, that's what she's saying. I'm going with Christian. He loves me. She goes to walk out and he tells her that she's dying. And <sighs> fucking asshole is like, listen, you need to set, 
You need to send Christian away. You need to tell him you don't love him. Because that's the only way you can save him. And now, okay. Go ahead. I, I, I don't understand. Maybe you can explain this to me. Okay. Why does her finding out she's dying mm -hmm. affect her decision whatsoever? Because she can't have a life. She's not going to be able to have a real life with him that she wants. Like, they're not going to run away together and be happy for years to come. Like, she's going to die. So, do you, like, do you want to die as well as him? Or do you want him to live and be, be able to live and be happy? Because he's not going to be happy with you. You're going to die. So, either way, he's going to lose you. So, you might as well let him lose you now and so he could live. Okay. You know what I mean? I guess that, yeah. And it's it's a really, it's it's an intense moment. She's kind of devastated, obviously, by this whole thing. And, and she doesn't know what to do. But she eventually does agree that she's going to end things with Christian. And it leads into this number. It's a really, like, intense, like, booming kind of number of uh, Zidler and the Moulin Rougers and, and Satine all singing The Show Must Go On uh, by Queen. Yes. The show must go on. The show must go on. Outside, the dawn is breaking on the stage that holds our final destiny. And uh, it's it's a really interesting moment. I had almost like forgotten that this number like existed. Um, but when I watched it again this time, I was like, oh, this is actually, like, really good. Um, and it, it, it's good because, it's not even good because of the performance itself, necessarily. This is one of those songs that's good because of the emotion, like, behind it and what it means for, like, the plot. Um, but even, like, Zidler says in that, like, in that scene, he's like, we're creatures of the underworld. We can't afford to love. And that's, like, part of the whole theme of the movie, like, you know... Satine is a courtesan, she's a slut, she sleeps with men, she, she's worthless, she, you know, she can't love anybody. And that that's why I like this movie, because it, it kind of, it, it's very dramatic and over the top, yes, yes but it, it has a, a strong, like, romantic message, and I enjoy that. Um, so Satine goes to Christian and breaks up with him, he kind of fights it in the beginning. He's like, what are you talking about? I know something's wrong. Just tell me what's wrong. But eventually, she kind of convinces him that, like, no, she's staying with the Duke. Like, she doesn't want to be with you anymore. And she leaves. Uh, and he... Later on, he tries to go to the Moulin Rouge to talk to her. He screams out her name and he ends up getting kicked out and, like, the shit kicked out of him. And then later, he's in his room or whatever and Toulouse is there and he's like something's wrong here like things aren't always as they seem I know she loves you like just, you can't believe this this is this isn't right and he's so angry and just like stewing in his own like heartbreak he just like pushes him away and tells him to go but he does say and this is where you got into it you did because uh, Christian then says like but I, I needed to know for sure. So I went to the Moulin Rouge one last time. And then 
Scott's like, oh boy, oh no, is he going to do something stupid? Oh my God, what's going to happen? You were into it at this point. Okay, fine. Yes, I was into it. What? Point. Say that a little louder. Say it in the microphone, dear. <laughs> yes, I was into it at this point. Mm. He was into it at this point. The defense rests, Your Honor. <laughs> he likes this movie. <laughs> oh. Still not saying that yet. Okay, fine. Um, so Christian goes back to the Moulin Rouge. Opening night of Spectacular Spectacular. Also a terrible name for a play. It is, but we're gonna move on from that. <laughs> he breaks in, and he sneaks backstage to see Satine. He actually ends up putting on, because the narcoleptic Argentinian, remember that guy? Yeah. He plays the sitar player in the play, and he ends up passing out. <laughs> right at The most opportune time. Right. Isn't that hilarious? And no one notices. Right? So then Christian kind of absconds with his, like, costume and goes backstage. And um, he sees Satine. And he's like, I have money for you. I, I came to pay my bill. And Satine's like, you have to leave. You have to leave. Because at this point, she knows if anyone sees him, they're going to fucking kill him. So she's like, you got to go. And he's like, no, I want to pay my bill. I want to pay you. You sell yourself to men. So... You told me you love. You convinced me that you love me. Why shouldn't I pay you for your services? So they're kind of like fighting back and forth. And right as the Duke's like henchman is about to like shoot Christian, the stage lights come up and Christian and Satine are on stage together. And Zidler kind of covers because Zidler's playing the Maharaja. So Zidler kind of covers and is like, oh. The sitar player, he looks different. He's in a disguise, but it's the sitar player. <laughs> and the audience is like, like oh. yeah! <laughs> sure! We believe that. We buy into this completely. <laughs> we buy that a white English man is now an Indian. <laughs> sure. Um, Whitewashing Argent back then. <laughs> he, he's now an Argentinian man. <laughs> Whitewashing. Um, it's real. So... As, um, so meanwhile, right before they end up going on stage together, Toulouse, who is, like, up in the rafters doing, like, stage stuff, he overhears them talk, like, he overhears Zidler talking about, like, Christian being killed, potentially. So he's like, oh, I have to tell Christian, like, that's why Satine pushed him away, because she didn't want him to be killed. I have to tell Christian... So, but he ends up getting, like, tangled up in the fucking stage. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck he was doing. He's an idiot. He ends up on a platform that rises into the air. Yeah, it's a mess. Toulouse is a fucking mess. Oh, by okay. We're gonna get there. But before we get to the climax of climaxes... I'm oh, the do... climax of climaxes, you say. Don't get dirty, all right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. My damn podcast. <laughs> so, it's mine too, okay? It's ours. <laughs> When we eventually divorce after we have disagreements about Moulin Rouge <laughs> that are irreconcilable differences regarding Moulin Rouge, this will be half my podcast. I will have partial custody of this podcast. <laughs> wow, it's so very threatening to divorce over no, Moulin Rouge. No, I'm kidding. I would never. Anyway, um, so before we get to the climax, let's do this little bit that I, I tend to do in these uh, episodes. Let's talk about the actors or actresses that might have been. Okay. So I have I have a list for Satine, Christian, and Toulouse on actors and actresses that were considered for the roles. Okay. All right. So 
let's start out with um, Christian, because that's the least uh, exciting. I mean, none of these are really... They're all white guys. Well, yes. Um, we have Heath Ledger, who I think would, would have been interesting. Yeah, he would have been good. Hugh Jackman, who also would have been interesting. Yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay, yeah, they all would have been good. But they're all very attractive white men, so that's not he would really... Have been the, he would have been the best singer. It's but... not really too much of a, uh, a leap. No. Um, okay, and then for Toulouse, who again is John Leguizamo, we have Rowan Atkinson, who is Mr. Bean, if you don't know who that is. Um, yeah, that's, okay. that, was an, that would have been an interesting choice. And Alan Cumming, who, I mean, has done... Yeah musical theater and you know i mean that's not too much of a stretch either but um yeah i mean that's not i don't know i if i had to pick another one i guess it would be alan coming i don't know i don't think john leguizamo is bad in this i just think he's john leguizamo he's john leguizamo one and two the role is very minimal so it, it's not really something you can like pick apart with him it's not you know what i mean the role is very minimal but then becomes very important Right, exactly. And we'll get there in the climax of climaxes. Now, <laughs> we have the last one, which I think is the most interesting, and it has the most uh, actresses. Satine. Okay. Uh, we have Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay. Which, I mean, makes sense, because, like, what, the next year she was in Chicago? Yep. Makes sense. Um, Zell Wigger was also in there. Chicago. Um, Kate Winslet. Okay. Hilary Swank, which I thought was the most bizarre one. Well, no, there's one more really bizarre one that I'll just save at the end. Um, Drew Barrymore. Okay. And Courtney Love was strongly considered for this role. Okay, dokie. Um, uh, apparently they had some kind of falling out because of their their use of Nirvana in this movie. So she like refused to do it and they had like she had a big falling out with Baz Luhrmann over this. Uh, and eventually, apparently, like, she hated Nicole Kidman after this because she feels like she stole her part. If Courtney Love was in this movie, it would have been a fucking train wreck, in my opinion. But... Well, well, Courtney... Ever since Kurt Cobain passed away... Yeah. Courtney Love's life has gone to the shitter. Yeah, I would say so. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> I think she used to be the lead singer of the band Hole. Yeah, that, that was a thing. Um, Okay. So shall we get yes, back to the climax yes. of climaxes? Was there anything of particular interest in there that uh, I um, want to say? Besides Courtney Love, why? <laughs> uh, Courtney Love, Hillary Swank. Is, Hillary Swank is weird. I don't know why that's um, weird. It's funny that Hugh Jackman, this is even before, like, like he became like a musical guy. Like, he, yeah, he did the... <laughs> He did the Tonys and stuff. Yeah, but he's he's like known for musical theater. Like he was in Oklahoma. Like oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. On Broadway. I, I had no idea who was in it. I I I just <clears throat> I guess because now he's gone so mainstream. Right. Yeah. At that point, he wasn't really mainstream. I don't think. And now he's got like he did the Greatest Showman. He did right, Les Misérables. Yeah. But, yeah, it would be interesting. These particular roles depend so much on chemistry yes. in order to be successful. So I think that's why maybe there were so many like other options, but they settled on these particular two. Because not only are they both very talented, of course, and they both sang pretty well in this movie. I mean, I yeah. like Hugh McGregor's a lot. like, But even Nicole Kidman, she held her own. Yeah. Um, are you saying you couldn't get chemistry with Hugh Jackman? 
No, I'm not saying that, but, you know, certain actors and actresses, they have to have, like, a physical chemistry, they have to have an emotional chemistry, and it has to, for a role like this, for a, show, a movie like this, I almost said a show like this, but it is very theatrical. Yes. There needs to be that chemistry that is readable on camera, because otherwise, this, the movie's already so stylistic and, like, like motify, like, it's very easy to just kind of discount like the characters but i think the characters make it they bring it to a new level yes that's the reason why i like this particular bad Lerman movie as opposed to like the great gatsby which i don't like at all because it sucks well, the great gatsby shouldn't the great gatsby had some book isn't even a great book i don't like the book either i actually reread it recently and i'm like oh i don't like this at all it's boring we read a lot of bad books in school. Yeah, but the thing is, in school, I know we're getting so off topic. We're going to get to the climax of climaxes, guys, I promise. But anyway, The Great Gatsby is like, I feel like it was one of those books. I didn't even read it in school. I kind of just did the Sparknotes version of, you know, education on that particular book. So when I reread it as an adult, it kind of boggled my mind. Because I'm like, I thought this was one of the books that everyone like loved in school. Nope. But I, I don't know. It, Whatever. But, but like, just... It's a shitty movie. If you haven't seen yeah, the Baz Luhrmann version good. of The Great Gatsby, please don't. It's really not worth it. It sucks. <laughs> it really... It truly does. It's not good. Push this off long enough on these poor yes, people. Yes, okay. I know. They're waiting. They're with waiting with anticipation yes. for the climax of climaxes. So here we go. So, Christian and Satine are on stage together. And while they're on stage together, he basically goes along with what he was doing. He throws the money at Satine. This woman is yours now. I've paid my whore. And says, I've paid my whore. You're nothing to me. And he walks off and he storms off through the audience and Zidler tries to kind of continue the show. However, Satine is just devastated. And she, you can tell she so desperately just wants to, like, tell Christian the truth. And Toulouse is up in the rafters. And he is desperate to get to Christian and tell him what's really going on. He ends up falling off the rafters and getting tangled in, like, ropes and stuff. And he screams out the, piv like, one of the pivotal lines from the show. This this line came up a couple times throughout the movie. It was present in the in the play that they were writing. It you know, it's one of the central themes, I guess. Yes. It's all about the love, guys. So the there a hush. A hush falls over the crowd Indeed. as Toulouse screams this uh important plot point. <laughs> uh and suddenly Christian kind of stops dead. He's still, his back is still to Satine, but he stops dead when he hears that. And Satine looks out to Christian, and she starts singing Come What May. Listen to my heart, can you hear it sing? Come back to me. And forgive everything. 
eventually Christian, he, he turns around and looks at her and watches her and she's singing right to him. And it's such a romantic moment. I really love this fucking moment, man. I, I really do. It's mm -hmm. so powerful, in my opinion. I may be a fucking mush, but hey, what do you want from me? Mm -hmm. So eventually Christian's heart softens and he realizes that his Satine still loves him. So he starts singing as well. And he comes back on stage, and they have this beautiful, embracing moment, and they sing Come What May together to kind of end the show. And uh, right as the Duke's goon is backstage, and he's about to shoot Christian, Toulouse, like, barrels in through the stage and knocks the guy over, and the song just keeps going. Oh, and we get a couple more hijinks here. You one probably, the, you probably could have put Benny Hill under here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the performers like knocks something on the on the assassin's head to keep him from shooting Christian, and the gun gets knocked out of his hand. And while they're singing this beautiful moment, it's the music is swelling, uh, life is beautiful, and the gun kind of falls out into the audience as the Duke is about to storm out of the theater. The gun comes up right behind him and, like, slides by him. The Duke turns around, picks up the gun, and he storms up to the stage, gun in hand, about to shoot Christian and probably Satine, too. Hell, who knows? And right as he's about to do that, Zidler comes in, finally and acting like a decent human, and punches him in the face. And the gun goes flying through the window to be picked up by some young youth. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> The show ends in a flourish. The audience is uproaring in applause and cheers. The curtain closes. And then they have just a brief moment of bliss, of a celebration, before Satine passes out once again. Well, she doesn't pass out. She kind of just falls and, and kind of heaves into Christian's arms. She's bleeding from her mouth. Christian is like, what's wrong? What's going on? Satine tells him as she lies there dying in his arms, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I have tuberculosis. <laughs> I don't think they knew that's what it was called. But yes, she has tuberculosis and she's dying a very painful, I assume, death. And they have this kind of really intense... You have to admit this is an incredibly well-acted moment. You and McGregor and, and Nicole Kidman act this out beautifully. Um, she, you know, he's devastated. He's crying. He's scared. He's upset. And she is just trying to calmly tell him, you have to go on, Christian. You have, you have so much to give. You have to tell our story. That way I will always be with you. And then she, she dies and... He emits this guttural, sobbing, just screaming and yelling. and it, it's, it's a really intense and also beautiful scene to watch in a way. Tragically beautiful, which is very operatic, which makes sense for, the, for this movie. So at this point, we're going to get to the epilogue. Um, but... At this point, how do you feel about the movie, Scott? Are you slowly turning around, or are you kind of on the fence still? Uh, I've been building. <laughs> I've been building a fence to sit upon. <laughs> <laughs> my wall. 
My wall I am sitting on, yes. Um, now, is Trump building this wall? Is it going <laughs> to come down slowly but surely, Scott? <laughs> yes, yes, hopefully. Because um, we end the movie back with Christian in 1900 with his ragged beard and sullen face. And uh, he is on his typewriter writing their story. And he ends it uh, by saying, or typing, I should say. But above all things, a story about love. A love that will live forever. And that's it. That's that's the story. Until Moulin Rouge 2. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> until, until Moulin Rouge 2. When the zombies come, when Satine comes back as a zombie and tries to convert Christian to become a zombie with her. So now can... that, that is romance <laughs> if I've ever heard it. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's basically a film version of an old, like, opera. Because operas, generally speaking, have a lot of uh, love, flowery love theming. Yes. A lot of tragedy, yes. a lot of, you know, terminal illness, dying heroine type stuff. Yes. So, yeah, that's why, yes, it's over the top and crazy and dramatic at parts, overly so. But I I feel that it fits in with the theme of the movie and with the tone of the movie. So I, if you look at this movie as just a regular old movie, yeah, it seems nuts. But if you look at it as an opera on film... It kind of makes more sense, in my opinion. So, yeah. And the music's really interesting. <laughs> yes. Some of it's really great. Some of it's really interesting. Yes. So, that's that's my view. Um, Scott, and now that we've had some time to ruminate and discuss, yes. uh, let's hear your final thoughts. Because I know this is a particularly confusing and complex experience for you. Yeah, I have to agree with you on most parts. It's an interesting movie. There are a lot of odd choices in this movie. Um, I, I yes, the operatic thing I understand. Like I understand the whole theater production. It's crazy. It's over the top. It's 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 Looney Tunes. Um, there are things that. Certainly, at some points, take me out of the movie, like the zany Looney Tunes sound effects. The hijinks are always interesting. John Leguizamo randomly being cut to at random points of certain scenes that he doesn't need to be there. But because he's John Leguizamo and we paid him, we have to show him more. Um, I guess. I mean, he earned it. The guy had to go to physical therapy and yes, fix his fucking knees. He did. Um, you know... We couldn't just cast an actor who happens to be extremely a short. person, yeah, God forbid. You know, there's plenty of them out there. Like, I was, gonna, I would say, like, oh, but you know, that won't get butts and seats. But like, is really John Leguizamo getting butts and seats? I don't know. Hey, the pest was drinking no. <laughs> up. Luigi. <laughs> Daisy. Luigi. Daisy. Luigi. <laughs> Daisy. <laughs> Imagine, like, in the middle of this movie, <laughs> he just, in his, like, weird, like, clown makeup that he had on, just goes, Daisy! <laughs> I would shit myself. Oh, God. Was oh. that before this? It was, because that was 93, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Oh, that would have been perfect. Maybe it's an outtake. There's got to be an outtake somewhere of him doing that. Oh, God. God willing. So, you have slowly started building positivity in this movie for Mm. me. I have that way, don't I? Yes, you do. Um, I think you didn't quite get me to the three. Did I get you over two and a half? I was going to sit at 2.75. Okay. That's not that's not a fail. That's not a fail in my opinion. So, okay, but here's the question. Because on Letterboxd, you can't give a movie 2.75. You can give it 2.5 or you can give it 3. So where are you going to land? A 2.5. Fuck you. <laughs> God damn it. You. <laughs> I worked my ass off. <laughs> Sell this movie. I I could have sold this movie <laughs> to a freaking I don't know. Dear I could have sold this movie to a if I had gangster just, rapper and if I, I had sell just, it to you. If I had just watched this at random, this probably would have been a one point five. Well. You got it up a whole point. Okay. I'll take the win on that. That's fine. <laughs> I love it enough for both of us. I think <laughs> I think we made that clear throughout this yes. video. Um, yeah, like I said before, I gave it four out of five, and I'm sticking with that. It's a very unique film, and I still love I've seen it multiple times now, and I'm glad that we watched it again, because I love it. I really do. Yes, I know. I like unique things. even And, like, yeah, is it perfect? Of course not. But I love the ingenuity of it, and I, I dig that a lot. And I dig the music. Some of the music I have on my playlist, like my everyday playlist, all the time. So it's stuff. But don't get me wrong. Sure. Like the Elephant Love medley, as much as it is, Jeannie all having over the place. all over the place. I did like it. Mm-hmm. it. I like that. It's one of my favorites. It was it was funner than I expected. Okay, I I can I can dig that. Yeah. And I think this was one of the movies that really, like, started my affinity for Ewan McGregor as an actor. Because even though this movie is nuts, his performance in it, along with, I think, Nicole Kidman's, made it kind of, I don't want to say grounded in reality, but it made it more real. Like, I was invested in him as a character, and I was invested in her as a character. So it kind of made me buy into more of the crazy stuff. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. So I I see this as a success. I really do, because Scott didn't hate Moulin Rouge, (laughs) which is I was what I was fully expecting. (laughs) To be fair, I was expecting you to give it a 1.5 and for this whole review to be like, but what, what, what? From you. (laughs) But why? Why, Frankie? Why? Uh, and I would have been like, well, Scott, da 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 da. And he would be like, no, no, it doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. Oh, uh, no. I, I, there was nothing that I was like, didn't make a whole lot of sense. It made sense. It was batshit crazy. Yeah. Like, you hit your head on your notebook several times throughout this movie, and I thought that that's all it was going to be. But once we got to like the halfway mark, maybe like three quarters of the way in, once we got to like the climax of all climaxes. <laughs> Once we got there, I keep, I'm gonna keep using it because it's funny. <laughs> Once we got there, I feel like you were at least you seemed more into it. Yes, and you you talked me up. Mm. You you got me up as close as you possibly could get. That's fair. 
that's fair. Again, you know. If I could put it a 2.75 on Letterbox, it would be a 2.75. Right. Which is a very good, you know, you got no, me. No, that's, that's fair. Out of five stars, a 2.75 is halfway there. Over halfway there. Now all we have to do is watch it three more times, and I'll finally get you to five. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, you, you don't ever have to watch this again. That's okay. I'll watch it on my own, and I'll I'll enjoy it thoroughly. Yes. But um, yeah, you know, just because we are madly in love with each other doesn't mean we have to be madly in love with the same no. types of movies. Again, didn't enjoy Predator all that much, um, and you didn't enjoy Moulin Rouge all that much. That's okay, guys. We still love each other. We do. There will be no divorce over Moulin Rouge or any other movie. Now, if you said you didn't like Back to the Future, then it would be different. Yes. But you do, because you're a normal human. Yes, anyway. Sure. Um. So, yeah, that was Moulin Rouge, guys. Yes. So, next week, we're going to have Scott introduce me to a movie. And like we did say last week, I don't know if you haven't heard, Um, we did pick these two particular movies. Um, Moulin Rouge and this mystery film that yes. Scott's going to show me uh, because they have a, a particular connection. So once uh, once we get to next week, we're going to discuss that particular connection, see if anybody Figured catches it out. on. Um, but yeah, until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast, and I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check out our letterbox accounts at Frankie Sparks and Scott Eisenberg individually. Um, there's uh, some interesting content on there. Yes. As well as a bunch of our favorites lists, a bunch of our ranked yes. lists of different movies. Uh, yeah. So, just so, what was the last thing you, besides Mulan Rouge, what was the last thing you watched that you rated on Letterbox? Uh, I actually just watched earlier tonight, I watched uh, a concert film of Billie Eilish, <laughs> and I rated that. Uh, and then before that, I think I watched, I think I watched, like, Bolt, a okay. Disney movie, Nothing. which wasn't great. <laughs> Glad we watched this tonight, because I, I needed a good movie in my palette. Cleanse my palette. Um, yeah. But yeah, and uh, Scott just got through watching all of the Tremors movies for some godforsaken reason, and he ranked all of them. Also, for godforsaken reason. Uh, so, yeah, just, like, go over there. If you if you don't have an account, it's a free thing. You download it on uh, your app store or whatever. And just, like, rate movies and review movies. It's, it's like, a fun little... Yeah. But, yeah, and also check out our social media at Shoot the Flick. We're on Instagram and Twitter. And come back every single week to check out our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and Google Podcasts. We will see you next time, guys. Keep the love alive. Peace.